begin. The Internet, a doorway to the world's most fascinating and terrifying communities. To explore it is to interrogate that which makes us human. Only some are brave enough to venture into these other worlds. Only some are brave enough to be called. The Internet Explorers. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to Anderson Brothers, The Internet Explorers. I'm your host, Evan Axel Anderson. And I'm your host, David Ryan Anderson. Uh, Evan, we got a really special episode this week. This week, as if we do this every week. It's been, <laughs> it's, this week in particular is pretty special. We got a pretty special episode this year, Evan. <laughs> um, yeah, so speaking of which, we've been on kind of a hiatus here. Yeah, about about two years, uh, give or take. Well, uh, for those of you, if you remember, in uh, our first season, our, our only season of the podcast, we we've done a lot of episodes about conspiracy theories. Uh, we had a whole episode devoted to various conspiracy theories, 9-11. We discussed Pizzagate. We did an entire episode devoted to just the flat earth conspiracy theory, where we actually called it a new religion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, both because of uh, a lot of the beliefs were basically watered down kind of it's, you know, it's a cosmology. It's sort of like a worldview that can be broadly applicable to different, like, kind of confessional sort of religious allegiances. Like, like we said, you know, you could have Muslim and Jewish and Christian flat earthers, and I suppose hypothetically you could have a lot of different other kinds of religious uh, flat earthers. But the idea is that sort of we were looking at this as, like, specifically it was on the level that, you know, how religions structure your way of looking at the universe this was kind of the thing that flat earth was doing now i you know i i think uh, i'm willing to go on the record that i think maybe religion isn't necessarily the right word but it is no. it gets us sort of thinking in the correct direction of what this kind of conspiracy theory like what work it's doing i think it's good to compare these things to kind of cults or religions because a lot of similar uh, kind of power structures and and things are at play, so it's it's worthwhile. So yeah, we we called the flat Earth conspiracy theory the world's newest religion, and uh, by the end of that year, I think it was superseded by a new conspiracy theory that is very uh, a little bit cult like. Yeah, it's definitely cult like in the way that it is really focused on apocalypticism. It's eschatological, and it has a sort of prophetic aspect, and we'll get into this in the episode. You probably know what we're talking about because it's the name of the episode. We're talking about QAnon. Yeah. Uh, QAnon, that is Q as in the letter, and Anon, uh, short for anonymous. It's named after, fittingly, the leader, the anonymous Q. That's what they go by. They go by the name Q, like from Star Trek. Uh, they began posting what I can only describe as cryptic prophecies about American politics. Yeah, mostly arrests and executions that Q was predicting uh, would be carried out against whoever their enemy is. It was very broad and vague exactly who it was. Usually this was prominent Democrats, 
um, like Obama, Hillary Clinton were very popular ones, but it wasn't limited to them. David, this all sounds like a bunch of inscrutable gibberish. Um, (laughs) You just throw a lot at me. Well, I have great news for you, Evan. Uh, We were able to sit down with Travis View, who is one of the hosts of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. If you've never heard of QAnon Anonymous, they, and Travis in particular, have really, I feel comfortable saying, become the leading experts on the QAnon conspiracy theory. They've been doing this since the beginning. Uh, We originally came across Travis on uh, Twitter. He had done a write-up for the Washington Post, I believe, that we came across and we reached out to contact him. And uh, full disclosure, we've been on hiatus for two years and this interview happened at literally that point two years ago before we went on hiatus. So this interview is two years old that we're bringing out of the vault. we're finally opening up the Anderson Brothers vault. <laughs> gotta, gotta get in here before the vault closes again. <laughs> For this limited time release. So really, that's probably the only reason we were able to book Travis View is because uh, that we recorded this so long ago that he was really under the radar. And the whole QAnon conspiracy theory was under the radar back then. What we're going to do, Evan, uh, after the break, we're going to go to that interview where we talk about what is QAnon, where to come from, how did it begin, what is its appeal, why did it become so prominent and so quickly, Um, and kind of the other details that make QAnon so unique compared to other conspiracy theories. And also, I think it's fair to call it a political movement, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's very clearly got politics as the center of its prophetic musings. Um, And I think people overstate sort of how different religion and politics are from one another. And this is definitely a mix of the two. Yeah, it is. um, We're kind of burying the lead here because uh, when we're done with the interview, we're going to come back to the two of us in the present in 2020 and talk about everything that's transpired between that interview being recorded and us recording right now, because it's been two years and a lot of things have happened. You know, the, the QAnon community has kind of metastasized and become a pretty frightening force uh, in a lot of ways that we're going we're gonna to talk about. Frightening and also sad. We'll get into it uh, in the end there. So yeah, until then, we are going to go back in time to the sweet year of 2018, back when we were eating Tide Pods and (laughs) Tony Stark was still alive. We had no idea what was coming. All right, come on, join us. All right, I am thrilled to have our guest for the episode, Travis View, with us. Travis is a contributor with Medium, with the Washington Post, and a co-host of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, which I love. I'm so fascinated in all of this stuff. I love following you on social media, on Twitter. It's a great bunch of content that I feel is surprisingly uh, lacking. I'm surprised how little the actual media seems to be picking up on this kind of stuff. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to, to say about the kind of work that you're doing right now? 
David, uh, Evan, thanks so much for inviting me on. Um, yeah, I, I, I mostly um, I mostly track the sort of the the movements of the uh, QAnon community through my Twitter account, and um, and I also um, we sort of discuss the sort of how the community is evolving and very facets of the QAnon community on the QAnon Anonymous podcast. So, how did you get involved with this? Like, like what is, what is your professional background that led you to this life? Well, yeah. So, yeah, I'm a I'm a 36 year old, you know, father and husband in uh, San Diego, and I'm a digital marketer by trade. So I do work a lot online. You know, just as as a matter of profession, I have to think a lot about you know you know search engine results and social media and messaging and audiences and these kinds of things. And uh, I think that kind of really uh, really prepared me. So sort of to better understand how this, these conspiracy theory communities sort of work and how kind of like the grifters, you know, who uh, manipulate the uh, people who are sort of prone to conspiracy theorizing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's basically, yeah, I've been working at, in digital marketing for over a decade now. How did you get into conspiracy theories in particular? Like, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of the digital world that there is, you know, out there to explore and look at how it can manipulate people or how, how people can utilize it that way. But why, why conspiracy theories and why QAnon particularly? I was always interested in uh, conspiracy theories generally because they're, you know, they're cool because they, they, they're appealing, <laughs> yeah. right? They, they promise you that, uh, you know, the world as you know it and as all the sheep around you think of it is just nonsense and they're all asleep and there's some sort of hidden truth that if you you can discover, if you dig, that will you know will blow your mind. I mean that's a that's a yeah that's appealing. I mean <laughs> that's I mean I get it. <laughs> uh, so so I was always sort of like interested in sort of conspiracy theories. You know partly as a sort of like uh, you know to research them, and also partly as sort of like you know what if it's true? What if the, what if this is the the true one? And I've been living a lie my whole life, and um, you know. I was interested in, uh, you know, like you know, nine eleven conspiracy theories. I, I, I was really into uh, oh, yeah. uh, creationism for a while. Uh, lots of people who believe that, uh, um, yeah, that the wor- world is actually ten thousand years old, and um, you know, the you know, all of geology is a lie, and uh, you know, uh, that 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 kind of thing. I, I spent the, spent a lot of time, you know, in the sort of like the mid. 2000s, like literally just arguing with young earth creationists, trying to grasp what they believed and trying to push back against it very futilely. But um, yeah, it was just, and so yeah, just conspiracy theories, just sort of uh, very, very fascinating. But QAnon, I think, is uh, particularly interesting. It's like right now, at least, it's sort of the king of conspiracy theories because it sort of uh, broke into the mainstream. And um, the uh, usually conspiracy theories they stay in these fever swamps these uh, you know these online forums or like 4chan or whatever they sort of stay down there and uh and there are a collection of like you know antisocial weirdos or whatever who buy into them and try to build up the theory or try to sell the theory this is one that you know uh people who they buy merchandise and they they show up at trump rallies and they're there's yeah. an untold number of them who who proudly uh proudly endorse the theory so that's that's yeah that's what really makes it appealing so i usually feel like i have a good grasp on current events and conspiracy theories and different political things that are going on 
Uh, QAnon really came out of nowhere for me. So maybe you could start by explaining who is QAnon or maybe who are QAnon. Yeah, we we uh, you know, we did an episode about conspiracy theories and the way that they proliferate online and try to work their way to the mainstream. And we didn't even touch QAnon back then. It was like, no, it was like in the dark night when uh, they're like, like, you want to go after the Joker? And he's like, the Joker or the whole mob? He's like, I don't need this clown. And then, you know, he ends up taking over the city. I feel like I feel like that's QAnon. Yeah, it was bubbling up for a long time. It got really, really hot, like like in the sort of like the conspiracy sort of movement, like earlier in the year. And then halfway in the year, it got, you know, almost to the mainstream. And then and then just in August, in August, it just broke through probably the most successful conspiracy theories, like probably since like the 9-11 conspiracy theories that were very, very popular, um, like oh, around yeah. 2005 or so. Um, uh, so. Yeah, I mean, well, it all started on uh, October 28th, 2017, and this was the day of the very first Q drop. Uh, someone posted on 4chan that Hillary Clinton was on the verge of being arrested. That didn't happen, obviously, but this particular 4chan <laughs> poster kept posting over and over, pretending to have some sort of inside knowledge about what was really going on behind the scenes. And eventually they identified themselves as a Q clearance patriot. And uh, this is this referred to a um, a uh, particular security clearance in the Department of Energy that's very very high. So it started you know gaining a sort of a small following among people uh, on 4chan. And the interesting thing about it is that is that QAnon is not the sort is not the first person on the chance to claim to be a government insider, uh, saying that they have some sort of inside information and that you know big people are going to go go down. This is a common thing. There was like a, a years ago, 2016, there was someone called FBI Anon who uh, claimed that the same thing, that Clinton was about to be arrested. Right before QAnon, there was someone called Mega Anon who, uh, who claimed, you know, again, a pretty similar story. So this was a common thing. And it, 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 the, the same thing happens over and over again. This mysterious insider who is deciding to post on 4chan for some reason post for a, a few weeks at most and then they disappear and people forget about it yeah obviously that didn't happen with QAnon, right so this mysterious entity called q who is posting some inside information and some socratic questions and these weird cryptic messages uh started posting on 4chan and eventually jumped to 8chan and gained a huge following thanks to some sort of conspiracy theory grifters who sort of boosted it on other channels like YouTube and Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, it sort of snowballed into a, a huge thing. So really quick, Travis, can we talk about exactly like the mechanics of how these kinds of forums work? Is there a way to verify that, that this is the same person or, you know, who? Uh, how do the naming conventions work on these kinds of forums? Right, because Q, I mean, Anon, the suffix Anon literally just, means an, an anonymous person, right? Right. That's right. So on these image boards, like, uh, you know, uh, 4chan and 8chan and uh, the Japanese image board, 2chan before it, um, is like you are, these. they have what they call a, a, a pseudo registration. You're not able to like make an account like you can with like uh, social media, like Facebook and Twitter. But what you can do is that you can use a password to create a, um, a, a trip code 
And this sort of identifies you by the code. So if you post over and over again, someone can see you as like, oh, this this particular string of characters identifies this particular user over and over again. So I can know what's coming from this particular person um, and not someone else. That's basically what Q did, is that they identify themselves with this particular trip code. That's how those work. It's sort of, it's very, very primitive. And like most people don't actually do it. Like they're they're purely anonymous. But if you're, you know, want to convince people that you are the real Q or whatever, then you need to do it. Interesting. I mean, it sounds like uh, from what from what you were saying, you've had all of these people who are claiming to be uh, uh, moles from the government who are now releasing the secret data. Q took off because it sounds like almost for reasons outside of their control that other people were signal boosting what Q was saying. Was this just good timing it just happened to be the right environment like uh, uh this alchemy that that made this popular uh well you know um i, I think I'm, I'm i'm pretty confident that um i have no proof of this i want to be very clear but um sure. i'm pretty confident <laughs> that uh, uh q and the people who were boosting it outside were coordinating in some way or they were maybe perhaps the same people Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, I, I don't, I don't think I doubt it's a coincidence. I think, I think it's more, uh, you know, someone, some of the people who are boosting it, um, were, uh, sort of saw an opportunity that this could be bigger than sort of the previous, uh, sort of pseudo FBI insiders from before and, uh, exploited that opportunity. So a very important part of QAnon and the entire culture surrounding it is, that Q does not just give out information, sort of like a WikiLeaks or something. Q gives out riddles for people to solve. And in the same way that like a social marketing team or somebody, or like, like Lost or whatever, uh, uh, would keep viewers engaged, it feels like Q is actively spurring a community on by like giving them something to rally around and like activities to perform. And... I mean, I, I, that is so weird to me. Is it, I, it's basically a game that they're all playing together. Yeah. I mean, really, this is sort of, uh, this is really brilliant. And I think this might be why, a part of why uh, this particular one took off when all the other ones sort of fizzled out. Is that it's, yeah, it's not just a leak of information. You're not just learning. You are, uh, Q pretends to be sort of giving people clues and hints and leads that uh, the QAnon believers can then use and then do their own research and then uh, and then uh, solve their their cell their own um, yeah and then solve these sort of these riddles to uncover the truth themselves, and that's really really and that's uh, that's brilliant because it's participatory, right? It's not just it's not just I'm just sitting there passively learning. I'm like I'm going out. I'm I'm, you know, I'm sitting at my computer still, but I'm like actively researching, and that makes me more sort of involved and engaged, and even invested in this particular person who's providing me the, these leads. So yeah, that's that that is different. I mean, like uh, like for one of the things that you know Q often does is that uh, Q asks these sort of like Socratic questions. Like I'm gonna give you an example on a yeah. uh, October thirty. 30- 31st 2017 q drop this was the 20th post so it was this was early in the sort of q's existence q said who did potus meet with yesterday was ag sessions there how many military intelligence generals were on the white house list to attend a separate meeting could those meetings have been combined 
Why were certain rooms in the White House renovated? Why was the meeting on Monday? Why aren't phones allowed in the in this room? One of many. What firm was contracted to conduct the renovations? And you know, you hear the, all these questions, and like the, you aren't really given any sort of inf- you're given a little bit of information, but mostly you're given sort of like a research pro- project. Well, you could you, you could Google <laughs> these questions, you know, uh, you know, or you could sort of invent your own story, which is what mm. many QAnon people do. Like, you know, why was the meeting on a Monday? It's like it's like there there could be a thousand reasons, but <laughs> but uh, you know, scheduling conflicts. You know, it's like but. Uh, but people come up with their own reasons and they feel like um, because they have sort of this explanation that they come up with for why the meeting was on the Monday, that they've uh, uncovered some sort of incredible secret that uh, Q has led them to. I think my favorite QAnon post that I I came across was it was literally like a photograph of like a street and it basically was just like look closer. I don't know if you've seen that one. Like. These sorts of things that are like things that you'd see on like Facebook that are like, you know, visual uh, puzzles or something like that. Yes. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, like people, yeah, that's why people often call it, you know, a LARP, you know, it's you know, a live action role playing game. Um, because, you know, it's, yeah, it's not just that they're sort of like they're playing the role of the sort of like the, you know, the patriots who are helping take down the deep state or the people who are sort of discovering the real truth that the uh, fake mockingbird media isn't telling us. And yeah, it's, 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 it's fun and it's exciting if, uh, if you're really into it. That's okay. Well, that's an interesting that, so they're using the term LARPing. So the QAnon folks are the ones using that term? No, 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 no. I would be very clear. When people when okay. people sort of dismiss QAnon, they say, "Oh, it's just a LARP," right? Okay, gotcha. say, yeah. So they feel like feel like what they're doing is real. When if you sort of recognize that, you know, they're kind of just sort of playing a role, like you know, where Q is sort of playing pretend to being the government insider, and the sort of the the people who are per- playing along are sort of just. Uh, you know, playing along to be the sort of the patriots taking down the deep state. It's just sort of a grand game, and uh, in order to help them feel like heroes. Um, but a lot of participants, they they really feel like it's real. And the narratives that Q kind of facilitates for people to build are, or or that Q builds themselves. They're always very politically oriented. They're they seem to be very pro-Trump. Is this actually, now this is where I get kind of confused, is that as I look through all of this stuff, it's hard for me to separate out what is Q trying to foster in, in the QAnon followers and what are things and narratives that the QAnon people are inventing on their own. Like, does it seem like Q has a particular agenda that may even be separate than what people who follow Q are inventing? So, yeah, you bring up actually a really excellent point because because Q is so cryptic, you know, Q rarely states anything too explicit. Q used to in the beginning, but it happened less and less. That's because Q is uh, is using basically uh, like cold reading techniques where uh, Q will sort of send out something sort of some sort of vague, lots of vague signals. And then Q will sort of pay attention to sort of the signals that are coming back. And then Q will sort of just validate whatever signals that are like that are like making sense or sort of they sound good. You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, you know like, a, like a psychic you know, would be say, like, I look at your aura. I can see that something happened to you near a body of water. Was it like an 
ocean or like a lake, some sort of some. It was like it was like oh well yeah, I was at the beach. It was the beach. That's right. I see that. It was yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah. It sounds sounds like stupid, but people fall for, fall for this. Is that they? Is that you know someone you know the Q will say something so totally cryptic. And then uh, someone on the boards will say, oh, do you mean this? And then Q will say, yes, I meant that the whole time. That's exactly how <laughs> you solved it. Incredible. Um, and so that's, that, that's, that's, that's the, the basic trick is that, yeah, Q doesn't really say anything. And this is, this is actually a, a, a really clever trick that sort of uh, uh, QAnon people will do. We'll say like, oh, you know uh, – they predicted that this particular thing would happen by this date. That didn't happen. And they'll, and a QAnon will believe it. Say, well, Q never said that. And it's true because Q doesn't sure. say anything. Mm-hmm. And it's just like Q sort of like hinted at it and sort of implied and made a lot of cryptic. And then the community rallied around this belief that some sort of thing would happen on 6-11 or whatever date. And then um, – and then, and then they'll point out that, well, Q never really explicitly said it. But – that, that's that's sort of like uh, yeah it's 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 yeah Q gets away with being really vague and slippery and uh, so that's that's how they sort of he sort of like uh, Q sort of ensnares people because it's like it's a different thing to different people. It kind of makes the community bulletproof. Every vague prediction that comes true is validation. Every vague prediction that does not come true is. Either, well, he never said it explicitly, or the other thing that's fascinating about Q is that, or at least the community, is that they believe that a certain amount of things that Q says are intended to be lies, not not to the QAnon people, but for anybody who's in opposition, who's like watching to throw them off. So maybe like the signals got mixed. Like we we thought we were following Q, but actually we got caught one of the lies that was meant for for the bad guys. Yes. Yes. You are thinking of the phrase who is repeated often is disinformation is necessary. And this yes. is a, a genius stroke by Q because like it, it, that Q realized that, well, if we're playing an Intel game and we're at war, uh, you know, if you look at the, you know, the history of warfare, making your enemy believe that, you know, you're strong when you're weak or weak when you're strong or whatever, uh, thinking that you're going to attack the East when you're actually going to attack the West, fooling people is an essential part of warfare. And so you convince the, these people that you're actually at war and therefore things that you say are going to be false. And that obviously that excuse that excuses every false thing you ever say. If you if you say anything that's true, then it's proof that you, you're real. You actually are who you say you are. And if you say something false, well, this is part of the the the, the game of warfare. Disinformation is necessary. And so yeah, they're just sort of cognitively you know just trapped, just locked. They though they can't imagine a scenario in which Q says something false because Q is bullshit. You know. So, Travis, I've come across a particular term that I have no idea what it means, so maybe you could explain to uh, myself and the listeners. Uh, what is the Q clock? Yeah, the the Q clock is like, that's like advanced QAnon studies. And this is so weird <laughs> and esoteric that like even a lot of like Q believers don't quite understand it and they think it's weird and um, they like, well, okay, if that's that's what you're into. But yeah, a lot of people on uh, 8chan, some of the you know more devoted Q followers on 8chan, they created this uh, this circular sort of clock. And what they did is that they mapped out every sort of uh, Q drop in a circle, 
you know, sort of uh, sort of the spiling around the center. And uh, every sort of uh, there are little dots that are highlighted blue and every blue dot represents a Q drop. And then uh, and then they and then they what they did is that they they convinced themselves that if they're able to line up uh, one Q drop from one side of the clock to another, they're able to uh, predict what's going to happen basically in the future at a future date. It's, it's it honestly is very tough to describe without actually seeing the clock itself. <laughs> it this sounds like something out of like a Mark Z. Danielewski book or something like some like crazy like. Yeah, like House of Leaves or, or right. something or some kind of. Yeah, they, they yeah, they mapped out all the Q drops and they think that they think that they can sort of, you know, mathematically use this to predict what future events are going to be. Like if a previous Q drop said that there uh, said something about false flags or something and they're able to line that up with a future date on the clock, then they think, that oh, on this date, there's going to be a false flag or something like that. Uh, it's uh yeah it, it's really insanity <laughs> but um it, 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 i i was like i was really i was really getting worried when like the q clock started spilling over onto twitter it used to be just an 8chan thing <laughs> and like they were like all okay this is like too weird for the normies right well we'll just we'll just keep the q yeah. clock here but then then people started started talking about the q clock be like oh wow this is what the q clock says is going to happen today it's just it's just QAnon numerology. It's just they it's like it's like yeah, they invented their own sort of like palm reading astrology technique. It's very strange. Man. The biggest lesson that I've learned in the past uh, the past few years is that nothing is too weird for the normies anymore. Anything <laughs> yeah. can go mainstream. Yeah, yeah. It, this is yeah, a very interesting time for like maybe those of us who have been like uh, to online for for many many years, and the sort of like this sort of online <laughs> culture is sort of like eating up real life. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's an interesting experience. There used to be a delineation. We have a society. <laughs> there was a DMZ, and now yeah. they're they're spilling over it. The thing that gets me now is I was watching a video, sort of prepping for this, and I remember half the video was just them. It was this uh, journalist talking to. QAnon uh, believers at some rally and they were all like middle-aged people who it's like you're not on 8chan so it's like you're getting this through like Twitter and it is filtering into I think the thing that was striking is that now you have people at like a Trump rally will be holding up the Q signs and you know Trump will kind of point at them and do some acknowledgement uh, that will uh, sort of drag it very viscerally into reality yeah the uh the a lot of the people on 8chan they've done a really excellent job in making like the Q drops more accessible you know there are a few pretty good sites like uh you know uh, qmap.pub or uh, qanon.pub and there are also like you know apps that you can use to like get an alert whenever there's a Q drop <laughs> and um and of course yeah of course the like really devoted followers they uh they bring it out onto the sort of the, the normy uh social networks like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and uh, yeah, it, it spilled out like very, very quickly. I mean, within a matter of days, like after the Q drops in like early November, people started talking about like uh, QAnon on the um, on the like Twitter and stuff. So who is like the middleman in this? So I know you. So you've got the people who are reading this on 8chan. How do they? I mean, you said there are apps and things like that in Facebook, but who are the people who are posting on these uh, wider sort of normie, uh, social media places. 
and are sort of bringing this into the real world? Well, you know, this this goes into this, the, the sort of the question of like who were the sort of the early Q boosters. Yeah. And uh, there there are a handful of them. It's like one of the big ones sort of on Twitter was uh, a woman named Tracy Diaz. And she goes by the handle Tracy Beans, and she uh, often positions herself as sort of an investigative reporter or whatever. But uh, yeah, in November, she was someone who um, who promoted the Q drops very early. Uh, someone else who promoted uh, sort of Q was um, someone who goes by the name of uh, Pamphlet Anon. And Pamphlet Anon, whose real name is Coleman Rogers, he's a Virginia man. And uh, he ha- currently runs the uh, YouTube 24-7 streaming uh, channel called Patriot Soapbox. Mm. And, um, and through Patriot Soapbox and, uh, and sort of taking these Q-drops very seriously and decoding them for, for his audience and convincing his audience that Q-drops were legit, he was able to sort of uh, build a much bigger audience for himself. So – and uh, – yeah, there was also uh, was it? Uh, oh yes, uh, Baruch the scribe, who is a uh, whose real name is I think uh, Paul Ferber, who is a, a South African man. He, he he promoted it early too, and a lot of people. It's like a lot of this information. It, it was comes from a uh, really well reported um, NBC News article about mm-hmm. Patriot Soapbox, and uh, they sort of talk about how there was sort of this core group in the early days who did a lot of work promoting it and made it sort of like it sparked the initial fire that made uh, QAnon what, what it is today. It's fascinating to me that Evan's question was, who were the forces that brought this really obscure conspiracy theory into the mainstream? And the answer was somebody named Tracy Beans and some <laughs> guy from South Africa. It's like a dude from Virginia. It's literally just a bunch of random people who have basically formulated their own counter media. It is. It's like, yeah, I think the whole, like you think about the names, the names of these people go by. Let's say there's actually there's another guy involved named yeah. Farmer Funk. There was Code Monkey. Okay. There was, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, there was yeah, pamphlet and on. Yeah, these are not like real people's names, but this is the sort of the, the group that sure. sort of helped bring it into the sort of the more mainstream. Walter Cronkite, now Code Monkey. Right. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned about like, oh, these are people who are sort of like, you know, replacing the sort the mainstream media or sort of a counter media. And really, that's their goal. Q and the people who promote Q, they want to, you know, be a real dedicated media information source that is a serious competitor to the mainstream media. You know, they don't want to be the sort of the alternate sort of way. They, they, they want to take down, you know, CNN, you know, the Washington Post. And to a certain degree, I, from what I understand, even even uh, conservative sources like Fox, if it, if it wasn't for guys like Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson, like I, I believe that you've retweeted some of this stuff uh, as well, that there are people who have said that's really the only reason they even go back to Fox. Like even Fox is not able to retain some of these people. Yeah. You know, it, it's really interesting is that um, Q uh, actually goes back and forth on Fox. Uh, Q in the early days used to imply that um, that since Fox News has some Saudi investors, it's compromised. It's sort of like it's it's sort of um, managed opposition, and it's not to be trusted either. It's also part of the mainstream media. And then um, and then other times, for example, in August when it really broke into the mainstream, Fox News was really the only sort of major news channel that didn't run a sort of a segment about, oh, wow, what's up with all these crazy QAnon believers? 
And uh, and Q noted that and be like, oh, oh, look, Fox Fox is like treating us uh, at least ignoring us (laughs) instead of instead of doing a hit piece on us. And that there's a reason there's a reason for that. Fox is okay now. But then sometimes, yeah, if they're if if Fox deviates too much from like, uh, you know, the, the party line, then, the you know, they'll, they'll attack Fox again. So they go back and forth. But, yeah, even Fox isn't isn't to be trusted. You know, you can research and find out the truth for yourself. So um, in one of your episodes of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, you had made a comment that I thought was really interesting about the I, or I believe it was you that made this comment about the fact that we are living in a sort of post-truth world where we can't agree on our on our facts and that this is just the way that we live now. We we can't all agree on on what is real and what is not. But also this idea that was really interesting to me that I mean being able to agree on all of the facts is not something that ensured that humanity was acting rightly that we've enacted lots of atrocities and things all by working from the same spreadsheet. And like maybe the post-truth world is not necessarily the hellscape that I, I definitely am imagining. <laughs> um, I'll be honest. That sounds really more like uh, something uh, my co-host Julian would say. <laughs> I may, I may have confused you guys. It's uh, it's fine. But the um, really what part of what sort of drawed me to QAnon um, when I really got interested is like, I really do generally hate the sort of the idea that we're all separating into our own separate sort of uh, individual truths. And, but that, that, that point about how, you know, just because we're all sort of unified in what is true and what is not, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't guarantee that we're not going to, you know, do atrocious things out of sort of a massive collective ignorance. You know, we can all sort of agree on a particular truth that's, you know, false or, you know, uh, denying of certain people's humanity. But I feel like we need I, I personally feel like we need to have at least the ideal that there is a real concrete truth out there that we're all sort of collectively trying to find. Here's really the difference between the idea of sort of a single unified truth we all have to agree on and the sort of the sort of the post-truth world in which everybody has their own sort of conception of the world and we're all battling it out. It's like when you are sort of arguing with someone in sort of a, a, a world in which you believe that there is one singular truth, then you are working with a partner, right? You are arguing – presenting your case and they're presenting their case and we are working together in order to find which of which one of us is closer to the truth or maybe with the strength of our individual cases to, to find out which of us you know is more on the money or not or neither of us you know but in the post-truth world it is about battle and domination right when we're in the post-truth world i have my own conception of truth and you have your conception of truth and i have to destroy yours <laughs> and then when i destroy yours i i win and then my truth is right and then we're then we're enemies now when we uh, when we oppose each other ideologically so that's why i hate about this post-truth world and i personally think that's frightening and maybe maybe it won't be as bad and uh even if we lose the ideal of a singular truth we all have to adhere to it it won't be you know quite quite the nightmare hellscape i think it might be but uh yeah that's what worries me is that i feel like we need at least to have the ideal that there is sort of a unified truth out there in the world uh even if we can't you know you know achieve it 
I mean, it it sounds like what you're what the post-truth world sounds like is this sort of like postmodernist place where dialectic has just broken down. Like you can't even have a disagreement where you get to a higher, like a better conceptualization of what is really true. It's just neither of them is true as much as they are true independent of each other. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like if I have an idea and I sort of like destroy your voice, whatever, if I silence you or if I, if I make you look ridiculous so that no one listens to you, then my truth is wins. You know, yeah. it's, it's about like, are we all explorers in, in this sort of like philosophical sense, trying to figure out what is real or not? Or are we, you know, in this epistemological Mad Max world where we're all sort of like battling for our own, for our own sort <laughs> of, uh, uh, you know, conception of truth to win and dominate over all others? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's well put. So how does QAnon fit into that, getting to that point of post-truth? Is there an unwillingness to grapple with reality when you're buying into this, the QAnon posts, like the breadcrumbs? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of, you know, the QAnon believers, are like, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the sort of the, the core sort of beliefs of the QAnon world is that there is a uh, worldwide cabal of pedophile Satan worshipers who really run the government. And the, these people are, you know, they're doing horrible things behind the scenes that no one quite knows about yet. And that's not really true, at least not to the extent mm. that, uh, that they imagine it to be. Sure. And the, the, the problem is, is that if like Q and like, you know, Patriot Soapbox or whatever, if they really take over sort of like more sort of like mainstream media sources, in the post-truth world, that will become the truth, right? You're, we're really living in the post-truth world, and they sort of they sort of dominate the the media narrative that we all sort of live in. Then they win. Then that's that's what's true. Even though I think if if I'm operating from a sort of a correspondence theory of truth, it's not. Yeah, that's that's basically worries me. Is that someone has sort of just imposed a truth? By sheer media force of will and sort of appealing to people's, uh, you know, baser instincts. Yeah, a way we've kind of described that kind of phenomenon on the podcast before is, yeah, sort of a, a brute force of rhetoric and trying to take advantage of all the tools of rhetoric in a way that you can just make your signals so dominant that who would even want to question it at that point. Yeah, it's really, it's really, when you talk about rhetoric, when people sort of like they want their worldview or their narrative to dominate, it suddenly becomes all about pushing out your narrative. It's all, you know, output and it's no input, you know? I have no interest in sort of learning about your worldview and what you believe because after I dominate the narrative and after people believe what I do, who gives a shit, you know? Because then my views will yeah. be true. I don't have to listen to you in a sort of post-truth world. Yeah, and and the QAnon conspiracy theory is pretty. It's an explicitly right-wing theory. It is. Yeah. But we're talking about crafting a post-truth world in general. And do you have any kind of fear that the, these methods and things are just going to become universal? Like, like, well, where do we think this will end? I think that there is all, already is kind of a, a QAnon on the left. There are some sort of things that are do QAnon-like things. Uh, one account is Counter Checkist. Uh, this is an account on Twitter, and uh, it's very popular. It has like 100,000 followers. And this account will is basically it's sort of – it pretends to have inside information about the Mueller investigation. And this mm -hmm. account will sometimes say things like um, – 
uh, Feathers 13, ready for takeoff or whatever. And Feathers is sort of a signal that someone's about to be indicted or something. And people buy into it. And it's just totally nonsense. You know, another example of a sort of a liberal sort of QAnon is Louise Mensch, who uh, is another you know popular Twitter account. And she will say things like – my favorite tweet of hers is when she claimed that Steve Bannon was going to get the death penalty for treason. And this, she said that <laughs> this gives me no pleasure to report because I am pro-life. <laughs> of course, it's just insane horseshit, but it got like 10,000 retweets because people bought into it. A lot of it is already sort of uh, universal. In fact, uh, the biggest sort of core beliefs of like the QAnon is the there are tens of thousands of sealed indictments that are going to be unsealed any day now and then reveal the that the pe- people in Hollywood and government and uh, people the highest uh, you know highest heights of power were doing terrible things. Um, and really, uh, before Q, uh, Louise Mensch pioneered this. She claimed that there are dozens of indictments that are sealed that are going to take down Trump and company. And this was this was before Q. But of course, the the problem is is that the the right wing they're generally more experienced with conspiracy theories. <laughs> they're so they're better at it. And there's, there's always you know more uh, complicated and exciting and stuff. I've heard that sort of like a lot of this Trump Russia stuff to be called baby's first conspiracy theory in the sense that when, when they take it, when they take it to the extent that like, they think that like, Oh, Steve Bannon's going to be executed or whatever, you know, it's, it's sort of like, there's sort of like their half-hearted attempt to do a sort of a liberal version of a right wing conspiracy theory. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think, I think it is, a, I think it is a universal thing. The thing is that the, again, the, the right, because they're, they're better at conspiracy theories, they're, they're take off more and they're a little bit more crazy and sort of, uh, engaging, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think we're already there. It's just a matter of, it's just a matter of like, how far is it going to go? Yeah. And going off of what you just said that the right is better at the conspiracy theory thing. That's something that's really interesting because. Yeah, like when we tend to think of the Dale Gribble from King of the Hill, like conspiracy theorists, you've got some guy with, you know, his stockpile of guns who's like afraid he's waiting for the day the government's going to come in, come and invade or something or like all, all these conspiracy theories, even though they tend to resonate with sort of this, this caricatured right wing character, they also have this angle to them where it's all power is corrupt, all government is evil. QAnon is something much more explicitly partisan than we've seen before. And I'm not entirely sure where that came from. Mm. Well, um, I think that it's it's like it is, it is very partisan in that uh, I'll give you an example in the uh, recent election. Uh, but right before the few days before the election, Q just became a get out the vote effort, right? Q was just uh, go out there, vote red. It wasn't about conspiracy theories. It was just get off your button, vote and, and for Republicans. You know, it was very, very explicitly partisan. Mm-hmm. But generally, you know, uh, Q sort of has a sort of vision that ultimately both parties are corrupt. And um, Trump, the outsider Republican, is going to come in and then take down sort of uh, – all the evil people on both sides of the party. For example, Q people despise John McCain. Uh, in Q, Q drops, uh, John McCain was referred to as no name because they refer, refused to say his name. And when he, when he died, they thought that McCain actually was actually secretly executed for treason. 
Oh, that's a win. Secret, yeah. secret executions send a very strong message. Yeah, I know. It, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's nonsense. <laughs> but so they hated John McCain, and often they hate uh, both. They hate George Bush. They they're actually pretty isolationist. They hate like the Iraq War, and in fact, they're um, they're also bipartisan in the sense that they're really big Kennedy fans. Hmm. They really like JFK. And um, they thought that he was someone who was working to take down the deep state. And this is why the deep state killed him, why he was assassinated. Um, so in this in this, you know, in the sort of a limited sense, it is partisan. They think that, you know, the Republican Party uh, needs as much power as it needs in order to support Trump. But in sort of in a broader sense, they think that they think that both parties are corrupt and uh, people from, you know, uh, all, all walks of power and whether it's religious power or you know cultural power in Hollywood or whatever, or uh, financial power, they hate Wall Street. Um, they uh, that they're all going to go down <laughs> any day now. They imagine. I mean, this sounds like the rhetoric of the arch conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. I mean, that's like he he seems very partisan in the sense that he's very pro-Trump, but like that sort of is on top of a large, like many layers of sort of, yeah, very anti-government, but like also very skeptical about, you know, the Bush family or, or these different sort of uh, concerns that you brought up. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah mean, to me as like an outs. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no worries. The uh, it's like, yeah, it's like they, a lot of people have this sort of vision of sort of like the, the uniparty where, you know, Republicans are not as bad as Democrats but ultimately, they're both screwing us from like different sides, and um, the whole system needs to come down, mm-hmm. and we need to be sort of united again. They sort of they have this sort of uh, they have this vision of like the the parties themselves will just just crumble, and we'll just be like I, uh, the whole country will just be one big sort of big American party. That's surprisingly uh, idealistic, actually. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, they they buy into this beautiful vision for themselves, right? Where well, where every all Americans they they they're all coming together for for you know uh, you know great American values, and they imagine sort of even an end to like you know uh, poverty. They think that they think that, for example, um, after all of these criminals are going to go down, then then suddenly like uh, all these incredible cures for diseases are going to come out and uh, everyone's going to be much more sure, prosperous because yeah. they'll they'll uh, you know they'll stop it you know uh, artificially uh, making people impoverished so yeah it, they do present sort of a, a beautiful vision past this uh, after the storm which is the sort of the big event in which all these elites get arrested you know and uh, so it, it is sort of a beautiful and idealistic if you're like you know you, you're able to sort of trick yourself into believing it it's almost like the big conspiracy theory, like like shared cinematic universe, <laughs> where, like I guess their image is that that Trump or, or Q or whoever is going to, you know, he's got all these indictments ready. He's going to take down all the various villains of all the conspiracy theories, the people who are suppressing the cure for cancer, the you know the the globalists, the what like whoever you know X Y and Z, and you know they'll all be they'll all be taken out in this one. Swoop. A lot of their language is very apocalyptic, and I don't mean apocalyptic yeah. in the sense that they're it, it, that they're dreading an apocalypse. I mean apocalyptic in the sense of a glorious, like like second coming type of imagery. Yeah, millennial sort of, uh, or right. you know, millenarian sort of. Yeah, 
apocalyptic. It is. Apocalyptic. Yeah, it, they they often sometimes even call it the sort of the elite apocalypse. And you know, so it's like when I sort of uh, called the sort of their vision sort of like, you know, very beautiful and like idealistic. I also want to be clear, they also have a lot of hatred and like bloodlust for uh, the the elites that they think got us into this terrible situation that we're in, particularly like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. They have a lot of imaginings about these people, uh, you know, being executed or uh, being sort of uh, hum- humiliated or even being sent to Gitmo or being sent to some like, you know, some black site. Um, so, you know, so yeah, that's sort of like the dichotomy. On one hand, you know, they 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 really have this sort of this beautiful vision of America coming together and everyone being so prosperous and wealthy and free of disease, but they also want to see people suffer and die very very much. Yeah. So, one of the sort of central questions that this show likes to investigate is how is the internet, how are internet communities, and how are these sorts of large web trends affecting the real world? So I think one thing that we should look at is maybe how is QAnon affecting our politics? Uh, how is it changing the way that our politicians are speaking? Uh, are they addressing it? And how are they going about addressing it? You know, they they really don't. I mean, they, 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 or at least not, not Q sort of like directly. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, press secretary for the White House, fielded a question about Q, about whether or not President Trump... Um, you know, supports a Q or sort of extremist movements. And then uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders sort of uh, countered it with sort of like a vague sort of uh, denial where it's like, oh, we we um, absolutely reject any sort of violent or extremist sort of movements, but didn't really address Q at all. People, especially sort of maybe Republicans who recognize that maybe lots of Q believers are part of their base. They don't want to alienate those those voters. They're walking a very fine line. On the one hand, they don't want to uh, sort of recognize the crazies because they understand that it's crazy, but they also don't want to alienate them either because they want their votes. And so, you know, uh, they play the sort of, they sort of, uh, they tiptoe around the cue and sort of what it means. That's sort of what I see sort of politicians do, how they sort of treat cue. A question that I've got kind of along those same lines is that, so I know that recently, Donald Trump reposted something, uh, a Q, a non meme. And this people were like, this is this is proof that Donald Trump is speaking to us. And this is not that uncommon. People will repost things that they don't even recognize are extremely meaningful to this community. And by doing so, they fuel it, I believe, unintentionally. I know that Trump has been asked uh, about Q in person and Trump's default when I think when he doesn't know how to answer something is to give a vague but like sort of generally positive response and to to people like QAnon this is something empowering and I don't know if I if we have to fault people when they when they do stuff like that but it's it's a fascinating phenomenon to me I guess that they, they look for evidence that that these politicians that they spend so much time thinking about are thinking about them in return and like watching out for them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They're the QAnon people. They look for, they're very sensitive to any smallest hint that Trump or someone close to Trump knows about Q or is validating them in any sense. And uh, to give you the example, what you're talking about is like just today, as of this recording, Trump retweeted a, an account called the Trump train, which is a pro QAnon account. 
Trump retweeted an image, a meme of uh, showed Hillary and Obama, even Rod Rosenstein, who is currently Trump's employee, uh, all behind bars. <laughs> uh, and um, and and the, I think the the message said like, now that we've proven that Russian collusion is uh, a lie, uh, when are all these people going to go to jail for treason? Um, and this is, of course, this is an image that uh, sort of that that originated in QAnon communities because they believe that this big group they attempted a failed coup against Trump, and they're going to be tried in, in military tribunals as enemy combatants, and they're all going to be executed or sent to Gitmo. And this was hugely validating to the QAnon community. They felt like, oh, you know, Trump noticed us and recognized us, and this was a huge shot in the arm. They felt like that, uh, you know, what they have been believing actually is, you know, true. Uh, this was really important to them because uh, they, they've been suffering some setbacks due to some failed predictions, which is pretty common. The most recent one was 11-11-18, which they thought was going to be uh, the day that America would be united again, according to Q, which, of course, didn't really happen. But, um, but now that, you know, Trump has retweeted this QAnon meme, uh, they feel they feel you know, that all, all those failed predictions don't matter anymore. They feel very vindicated and they're, they think that something huge is going to go down soon, which by the way, the, the, the next big date that they're counting on right now is December the 5th. The apocalypse has been rescheduled again to December the 5th. They think <laughs> that date has, is going to be the day that finally it all goes down. Travis, just one, one more time. Thanks so much for being on, for coming to our our humble podcast. Yeah. If people would like to get some more information, um, just see more about what you do, see more about QAnon and, and the various projects that you're working on, uh, what's the best place that people can reach you? So the, the best place to reach me is uh, my Twitter account, which is uh, Travis underscore view. Uh, you can also listen to me on the QAnon anonymous podcast. Every week we, we chat about a new facet of the uh, QAnon theory because it is so incredibly complex that there's just so much to uh, explore and talk about it within that within it awesome well thank you so much for coming on it was my pleasure and we're back back in 2020 Thanks for joining us for that interview with Travis View. That was that was a lot of fun, you know? I, I, I'd like to do a lot more interviews in the future. Absolutely. Especially ones that we recorded several years ago, because I love not being in this year. <laughs> so as Evan and I uh, hinted earlier, the QAnon conspiracy theory has evolved a bit since uh, those early days. You know, the QAnon conspiracy theory kind of evolved out of the, the Pizzagate conspiracy theory, which we've talked about on this show, which really centered around this idea that there was this satanic cabal of politicians who were basically running child sex trafficking rings, um, you know, out of a pizza parlor was how that one began. Right. But, you know, I, th I think a large part of the appeal of QAnon is the outrage of it. And this is not just QAnon, but I mean, we... So many things are on social media are driven by outrage. It's such a good way to get interaction. And it's, we've seen just this evolve more to kind of fuel the outrage more. Yeah, it is It is taking the logic of sort of clickbaity, sort of outrageous statements and sort of scandal and taking that and turning it into 
an ideology, uh, a religion, you know, I, I you know, it, it's more than that, but it is, that is sort of the driving logic of it. Yeah. So one way that we've seen is, I don't know if you've ever heard of adrenochrome. Sure. Take it all the time. Part of the QAnon conspiracy theory is that the satanic cabal of politicians and Hollywood elites, it's not just that they're running child trafficking rings, but that they are harvesting children's pineal glands for a substance called adrenochrome, which is basically created from adrenaline. So the only way to harvest it is that you have to torture somebody in order for them to biologically produce it. It just amps up what the stakes yeah. are. It's not just child trafficking. It is also they're intentionally forcing these kids to experience as much trauma and pain as possible to, so that they can feed off this adrenaline byproduct that they then use for uh, what exactly? You know, satanic rituals, it gives them power. What, it's all kind of, I mean, it's not real. It's Well, and here's the thing also is that I wonder how much of it is in trying to battle a desensitization that exists in society towards very real like ways that um, society and like people within society victimize helpless people all the time. Yeah. But it's like, you know, uh, it, it's like you can't just say child trafficking happens and people get because people know that already. So you say, well, uh, they're uh, they're literally vampiric sort of like stealing the I don't know, the life force, uh, the essence, yeah. the life force from these children. You know, it, you need to amp it up for people to even take notice or something. I also wonder I don't have evidence of this and I, I don't know if there's any way of knowing, but a big response to QAnon, you know, QAnon advocating for like, we have to save these kids was, you know, basically pointing at all of the very real ways that you can help out kids who are, uh, you know, in, in all kinds of terrible situations, domestic abuse, uh, homelessness, being imprisoned uh, by our own government. And basically QAnon's response seems to be, well, it's not just about saving kids. It's about this extra bad situation that we have to focus on. We can't focus on these other situations right. that are much more, you know, tangible and real. We can only focus on this extreme, like super exaggerated version, like supervillain plot that we, you know, we don't even know how to help exactly. And, you know, I can't divine people's like intentions, but I think that is, that's a red flag, right? When people are if you're intentionally taking this most extreme example and when people provide you with like, these are examples of actual things that are happening in the world that you could also be working with. And they say, no, actually, it's this very specific extreme example that I'm going to put all my effort into. Then it's like, okay, well, you know, there it's very clear that like, it's more about the idea of it happening than the actual damage is doing to anybody. Yeah, that's something that, you know, we were talking about with Travis is this idea of, of the LARP. You know, this is yeah. a game. It's a you get to feel like the the patriotic spy who is like you're decoding information and solving puzzles and whatever. It's part of the game, and um, I you know, and that that's part of the appeal of it. Uh, another thing that's uh, really prominent with QAnon are um, you know we mentioned uh, in our interview that there were a lot of important dates that these sort of prophetic dates that were coming up, almost like a doomsday prophecy where, you know, clearly none of these massive storms or whatever, as they call them, have come to pass. The dates are always wrong or they are misinterpreted rather. 
or, or, you know, various things like that. The most recent one, just this month, JFK Jr., who, you know, is famously, he, you know, he died very young, you know, decades ago. He was uh, supposedly alive this whole time. He's been in hiding, waiting for the perfect moment to resurface. And that moment, according to you know, the QAnon community, or not, not even all the QAnon community, but a very vocal uh, uh, sect, he was supposed to emerge and replace Mike Pence as Trump's running mate. And this would have a, honestly, it was sort of a second coming or like, you know, kind of resurrection type of moment where when the world saw JFK Jr. alive and supporting Trump, essentially like everybody would have to recognize this, is, uh, the QAnon was right. This is the way we should all follow Q's lead. Again, that didn't happen. And certainly now that this particular prophecy has not come to fruition, of course, now nobody's going to believe in QAnon. The interesting thing, though, is that, again, I'm going to compare this to, you know, a religion or a cult, is that doomsday cults with these kind of prophecies, it's built in that they have safeguards to keep the cult running even after the prophecies fail to materialize. Even, you know, when you have a doomsday cult, it's kind of the idea that like the anticipation of this culminating event happening is baked into the sort of, you know, reason for existing, for the reason for being for that, you know, religious organization to begin with. So, of course, you're going to have a, a method by which you're going to say, ah, we were wrong this time, but we won't be wrong next time. And sort of reifying that in the belief patterns of your followers. But in spite of that, though, there are a lot of people who are getting fed up. They're they're tired of waiting. They're tired of the promises. They're tired of ba- really being the butt of so many jokes. And not only being the butt of jokes, but e- even for themselves, they are concerned that they are crazy. You know, this is very, it's really common to see people voicing these concerns. And, you know, when you're faced with this moment of realizing that your worldview is false, you know, we, we like to think that it's like, okay, well, then people change their minds. Realistically, no, people double down. These failed doomsday prophecies, they're not destroying QAnon. They are further radicalizing QAnon because basically what you have are a bunch of people who are expecting uh, uh, arrests and executions to be made of, you know, yeah, these really cartoonish supervillain caricatures that have been built up in their minds. And when those don't happen, they get anxious for the justice and and punishment that they have been promised. And that can drive people to try and fulfill those prophecies themselves, sort of take that uh, providence into their own hands, essentially. Yeah, and there was a uh, kind of a prominent FBI report that came out talking about these different conspiracy theory communities like QAnon, including QAnon, talking about how they are dangerous because of their ability to incite acts of domestic terror. And that is something we have also seen from the QAnon community. And some of these crimes are, they're smaller, they're like property damage, breaking and entering, and you know premises and supplies that they think are somehow going to the deep state. Uh, but some of them are more prominent and violent and frightening. Yeah, like the kinds of tactics that you'd expect from like domestic terrorists, like uh, using a car as a battering weapon against a group of people. Yeah, which has been, a, I mean, that that's something that you go back a few years ago. That's what ISIS was famous for. Yeah, Nice was the big 
you know, that was like the first time that you had like a car could be a weapon of terror, essentially. Yeah, and we've been seeing a lot of that uh, in the intervening years ever since ISIS popularized that. But let's talk about some specifics. There's a few really notable examples here. Yeah, so a good example, kind of an earlier one, we're going to move through this sort of chronologically. Um, Going back to like 2018, uh, in Nevada, there's a guy named Matthew P. Wright who took an armored car and he blockaded a bridge. And this car was just full of ammunition. He had a standoff with the police. And essentially what his demands were is he wanted the government to release some secret report on James Comey because he believed that essentially this report would lead to the arrest of James Comey. This is one of these prophecies that had been made that James Comey would be arrested based upon this report and hadn't come true. So this man was trying to basically cause that to happen himself. Yeah, and there's also the case of Anthony Camello in 2019. He actually killed a Gambino mob boss. This is wild. This was the most high-profile killing in decades of the mob. The guy was 24 years old when he did this. He thought that this mob boss was part of the deep state. This guy, you might have remember, he was famous for, uh, in court, he wrote the letter Q and a bunch of other um, Q-related terms on his hands and like just held them up silently in court. He was determined to be mentally unfit to stand trial. And these kind of high uh, profile, like attempted killings, um, it's not just this one. I mean, uh, of course, you know, for Camelo's situation, he actually did kill somebody, but um, back in April of this year of 2020, uh, somebody named Jessica Prim had live streamed herself driving from Illinois to New York uh, with the intent of, stabbing Joe Biden to death. Um, You know, she was another one of these people waiting for a prophecy to be fulfilled. And she was trying to kind of force that to happen. Um, Basically, she was arrested. And in this live stream that she was going, uh, you know, where she was talking about her plans, she was going on about QAnon stuff and claimed that politicians were running child trafficking rings. And again, like those, like I believe those things happen. I mean, like, you know, these past few years, we had all the Jeffrey Epstein and and, um, Ghislaine Maxwell. How do you pronounce her name? I think it's Ghislaine. Ghislaine. I've only read it. I think it's French. Yeah. um, But it's like, like, of course these things are, happening but the ways of this is sort of what we were talking about earlier with it which is that it's not focusing on something that's actually happening but rather it is thinking about a very extreme you know made up version of it essentially to get worked up over yeah and uh one other case i wanted to talk about is cynthia abkug in december of 2019 she attempted to kidnap Somebody, uh, the police have not released any information about who she was trying to kidnap. It seems that she was trying to kidnap a child. We're not really sure. But she was actually turned in by her daughter before she was able to execute this kidnapping. Uh, She was planning with a bunch of other QAnon people this coordinated effort to go, uh, you know, essentially kidnap a child or or multiple children who she thought were wrapped up in this conspiracy. So we're seeing a lot of, you know, this is moving from online into the real world in a way that other conspiracy theories don't. I mean, we have had so many conspiracy theories that have existed for decades. Uh, I, I mean, even like close to a century for some of these that don't seem to have this kind of impact. And another way that manifests is this year, there are from 
what we've been able to find 44 candidates for public office in the U.S. linked to QAnon one way or another. Now, that number is a little bit more scary because this is just anybody running for public office. A lot of those people are, they, they're running in races where they really have no chance of winning, but not all of them. Uh, the most high profile is Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican candidate for the House of Representatives out of Georgia. She would be the first QAnon follower to make it to Congress, really to the federal government. The implications for that, I'm not even sure exactly what they would be to suddenly have somebody in in Congress who believes that it is the government's job to commit executions, arrests of who knows who exactly. Tons of high-ranking sort of government officials, yeah. Yeah, it's a strange, and we don't know exactly what the implications of that would be, but it seems that QAnon has basically been ramping up because it has such, we've been calling these prophecies slightly facetiously, but- or I have been. I I haven't uh, disagrees with me. Yeah, sorry. I'm shaking my head. No, I mean, I I am not, and I hope that people are aware that when we refer to QAnon as like a cult or religion or like a prophecy, that isn't to be pejorative with any of these terms or to muddy the water with any of these terms. But I I think these are legitimate ways of describing what the belief system that we're looking at here is, because Mm -hmm. it is a it is an apocalyptic group. Right. They believe that the government is increasingly doing more and more drastic and destructive and exploitative things. And that has a clear sort of eschatological connection there. So I think, yeah, I think it is prophecy. Right. But you know, whether or not those prophecies are valid or something we should be listening to, I think, you know, I I don't, don't think so. Uh, I don't think David thinks so. I don't think, no, I don't think that Q's, I don't think Q's predictions are worth, are worth listening to. Um, so one last thing I wanted to talk about about this is one of the bits of collateral damage of the post-truth world that we talked about with Travis is one that I did not, anticipate. And that is the fact that it's extremely isolating for the people who are in these groups. It is so common to find QAnon groups that are essentially group therapy sessions. They're kind of, it's almost like singles meetings, but not not romantically, just for people who, you know, they can all come together and commiserate with one another because they've been abandoned or pushed away family and friends and all their personal connections. It's really sad to witness how QAnon has destroyed so many people's lives and they have nothing to turn to but one another. But again, going back to this this cult parallel, this is how cults function. You need to find people or isolate people so that they have no choice but to rely on you for their, I mean, their needs, really. You can meet their needs. And we discussed this in the ISIS episode with Stefan, right? Is we were looking at recruitment tactics that ISIS was using and the idea of grabbing and attaching itself to people who are isolated already and furthering that isolation to the point where really all you have is the extremism. Yeah. And that is something I don't know if it's discussed enough in relation to QAnon is that I don't think it's so helpful to think of QAnon as an enemy to be defeated. I think they are people who need to be rescued. Mm. 
I mean, lots of times with these groups, that happens by dismantling their their figurehead. But it's hard to do that with somebody like Q. Who is Q? It's a it's text posts. And we have a lot of, there have been a lot of theories about who Q is, um, but I mean, it, it, it's almost, it's irrelevant at this point. Yeah. In light of a lot of these things, um, I mean, like YouTube and Facebook have actually been taking measures to try to stop the proliferation of QAnon conspiracy theories on their platforms. Uh, and Twitter also it is actually surprising, but I think the realization that there's a lot of dangerous stuff coming out of this conspiracy theory, it's starting to be taken seriously by the outside world. And this felt like a good time to have this episode to, to talk about that um, because I, I don't know what the next step is with, with QAnon. Um, if Trump loses the election, what does that mean for them? If Trump wins the election, what does that mean for them? It's Well, here's the thing. I think it's... Because with any kind of like major defeat to uh, a religion, you know, I, I we're speaking of it in these kinds of terms. So any major sort of setback for religion, especially to the point where it returns to being in a place of marginalization, that actually works well for the community's long-term health, essentially. Where, you know, at that point, you can basically look back to saying, ah, well, we're back in a position of not being in power. And now the eschatological stuff, these prophecies, it won't be as upsetting, I think, to members of Q when it's like, we don't have our guy in there. We don't have, uh, you know, people who are sympathetic to us anymore in government. This is just sort of like something that we're going to have to stomach for a while until, you know, the next time that we're near the levers of power. But I think the the really wild thing is that what if, you know, Q believers did have hands on the reins of power? It, 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 both outcomes are kind of going to result in further radicalization, really. That's just kind of, I think that's how these kinds of movements operate. Um, I mean, like we talked about with Travis, a lot of the main members of these communities, they're all online. They're all on social media. And if you can deplatform them, deplatforming has been shown to work to get rid of extremists, uh, uh, their reach. And honestly, people fade away. If they don't have that connection there, then they will move on to other things, maybe make connections back with their families and and friends and, and their communities who love them, which honestly is really what I hope for them. Yeah, it, it will. As we talked about, you know, it's it's not enough to kind of just assume that things are going to play out well in the long term on their own. You know, if you know somebody who's wrapped up in this, it, you know, not to say it's on you to make a connection and try and pull that person out, but like honestly human connections and real world connections are the only things that are going to get people out of this. Yeah, I mean that that is the solution to a community that exists just to isolate people and kind of reprogram them. All right, the episode is over, but as always, it's time for credits. We've had Make My Move by Oliver Michael this episode, which we are listening to right now and during all the breaks. 
And as always, I'd like to say thanks to Something Unreal for his Windows XP remix that we hear at the top of every episode. It's been a long while since our last episode. Uh, Evan is getting his doctorate, and I got married during that time. But we are really excited to get back into this. We really love making this podcast. And we love you who listen to it. Thank you so much for supporting us. Have an amazing week. Mm-hmm.